0: So our scripture today from Luke is probably one that is very familiar to those of us who attend a lot of church. It's the scripture about the lost sheep and Jesus going after that one lost sheep and saying that if the 99 are solid in there, if one goes astray, go after that lost sheep. When we take a look at this scripture and what is going on, we find that the Pharisees and the tax collectors and the legal experts are grumbling because this man, Jesus, eats with sinners. He hangs out with the people that the sanctified, righteous, holy folks thinks that he shouldn't be hanging around with. He is spending time with people who don't have a high credit score. He is spending time with people Who are of a different political party. He is spending time with people who are of a different race. He is stepping out, crossing the aisles, crossing boundaries, and hanging out with people that other folks think he shouldn't be hanging out with. Now, before you put yourself in the place of the sinner, as I always do, I'm going to put you in the place of the Pharisees and the righteous folks. See, see, when we find ourselves in the scripture, we sometimes think that we are the people who are the sinners and the folks who can't be helped and the folks who need the help. And that actually Jesus is the one who's hanging out with us. And it's the other people that are saying, Jesus, you shouldn't be hanging out with them. But I wanted to flip the script a little bit today because some of us in here have some folks we think Jesus ought not to be hanging out with either. And, and, and what that is doing is limiting your ability to evangelize for Christ. The folks who are like you may not need Christ, but the other folks that you don't want to talk to are the ones you need to be going to to improve and expand the kingdom. Who is it right now that you would say, Jesus, don't sit on that side of the street? Wow. Who is it right now that you would say, Jesus don't associate with them? (laughs) Who is it right now that you say, well, Jesus don't embrace those kind of politics? Who is it right now where you are saying that you are more concerned about sticking with your 99 and not worried about the one? When we read this scripture, we should ask two questions of ourselves, not just, thank you, Jesus, for hanging out with the sinners, that's me. No, 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 no. The question is, who is lost in relation to me being found? (laughs) Who is the 99 in relation to where I stand with Christ? (laughs) The answer to that question, I can't answer that for you, but the answer to that question, you know exactly who that is. We've been talking about taking our faith seriously and what disciples do. Over the next 12 weeks, we will be spending time talking about what disciples do, not what they believe. As I said last week, we all know how to believe, but we ain't doing nothing. Wow. Like my mama used to say, you ain't doing jack, well, there's too many kids in the room. <laughs> but you know what I need, mean? a lot of us uh, believe, we believe a whole lot about Jesus, but it ain't moving us to do jack nothing. That's right. That's I wish I, if we had children's church today, I'd have said it the way I wanted to say it. You... <laughs> We believe, but the belief is not moving us to change and to do anything and to have an authentic faith. Most of the reason why we can't reach out to those like us and to those who we think Jesus would not be sitting with is because we ourselves are not seeking to be changed and seeking to be transformed so that we can have a testimony about the goodness of God. Time is money, money is time. Stop coming here if you not go change. Make room for somebody else. I told them when I started last week I said you ain't go like me after the end of these 12 weeks, but if we together and everybody knows and my mama tell you if if I'm saying it it's cuz it cut me already. If I'm saying it, I've already been cut and convicted and my toes have already been stepped on. I'm just here to step on yours now. But we got to stop playing with church, playing with Jesus, playing about what we are doing in this place. Salvation is two, well, there's three things in my book, but the biggest two things We already believe about getting to heaven and soul being saved, but the grounded thing, the embodied salvation, is transformation of yourself and transformation of the world. That is not a lie that is based on how salvation has been used from the beginning of the Bible all the way to Revelation. It is personal transformation and transformation of the world. Now, you may believe that God died on the cross to get your soul to heaven. That's okay. I believe that too. But there's got to be something more. According to grace, if you believe, you're going to heaven anyway. So what else is there for you if you are going to live and follow Christ? Personal change, personal transformation, transformation of the world. That's right. (laughs) Somebody talking back to me. That's right. That's right. Amen. The other part of this is taking a deep look at what more, how more can we be changed? What more can God do through us so that we can go after the one? You know, (laughs) some of us think you have to put a REV in front of your name to save lives. Some of us think you need evangelists in front of your name to save souls. Some of you think you need to speak a mighty prophetic word in order to make a difference in people's lives. But I'm here to tell you right now, the kingdom of God, Christianity that has grown to what it is, happened by everyday ordinary people who reached (laughs) one by one by one by one. It wasn't the means of the world, it was the use of the world, the one by one by one. We have got to stop sitting back thinking that our pastor is going to be the evangelist for us. Yes. We have got to stop sitting back thinking that our pastors are going to be Christians for us. It is a matter of us stepping up, embracing God's grace, embracing the power that we have, and understanding that God wants you to do the work of reaching and touching and growing and expanding the kingdom. I have three. If it's all right, I'm a. Teach and preach, and I might prophesy at some point. We don't, we'll see. Ding, ding, school is in session, as my mentor would say. When it comes to us evangelizing and reaching out and bringing people in, there's a guy by the name of Martin Thielen. He has proposed that there's three ways that we need to evangelize and reach people for Christ and for the church. The first one is lifestyle. Let your life so speak. I think that was a book. Let your life speak. When folks see you coming, what do they think? When folks Gather up all your Facebook posts. All right, all right. (laughs) What do they think? (laughs) When folks see you cutting up and saying some stuff about your boss and your job, Uh what do they think? (laughs) When the bill collector calls you and you have choice words for them. What do they think? Oh, oh, let me let me get deeper. Let me bring it home closer, because this is where this is where we all struggle. When you get on the road at nine a.m., seven a.m. six a.m. on your way to work, what does everybody else on the road think? See, that's why we don't have no St. Peter United bumper stickers. I ain't go, no, y'all not fixing to wear me out. You, every church that has a bumper sticker, I always think you really shouldn't do that. That is not a good idea. <laughs> Folks going down the road, flipping people off, and you got Lakewood Church and Bering Omega and all these other places on the back of your, who is going to want to go to your church? I just think, oh, she flipped me off. I want to go to that church. <laughs> <laughs> Lifestyle evangelism. What is your life saying? What is it about how you live? What is it proclaiming? Who, who are you stepping in to help? Who are you stepping in to say, look, this is how God has changed me. Lifestyle evangelism. What does your life say? Everywhere. What does your life say? The second one is invitational. Invitational is easy. Invitational is sharing that homecoming invite on Facebook. Yes. See, so y'all think it's, um, it's not complicated. Invitational is, you know what? My church is having a homecoming celebration, and we really want our family and friends there. Please come and gather at my church. Boom, done. Invitational is, you know my pastor is throwed off in the head. You really ought to come to the church and hear him preach. Invitational is, Child Sunday, Marty and and Tahari Sang, they wigs off. You need to come to church. (laughs) said nobody greater, and I was laid out under the pew. That's it. Invitational is easy. If it really means something to you, if it's really changing you, if it has really moved you, then you should have an easy invitation to extend. You should have an easy invitation to say, come on and go to church with me. What's relational? Relational is Somebody comes up to you and they start talking about how bad their life is and what's going on and they can't stand their boss and they can't stand their life and they're struggling with drugs, they're struggling with alcohol, they're having all of these other issues and problems. What relational looks like is saying, you know what? I struggle with it too. You know what? This one time, you know, I, this one time, I, uh, in, in 2005, I had a moment. I was sitting in a, in a, in a, in a uh, nearly about to overdose, my heart nearly pumping out of my chest. And the only name I could cry was Jesus. The only one I knew from that song, Jesus loves me, this I know. The only one I knew to call. Oh my God. The only one I knew to call was Jesus. And sure enough, God said to me, this ain't it. It ain't over. There's more to come. And sure enough, a couple of months later I find out I have a nephew on the way. <laughs> a few months later I walked into Resurrection MCC and I I met this guy by the name of Marcus Carter and he changed my life. <laughs> Two years later, he looked at me and he said, what does God call you to do as you turn 30? You sitting here, you don't like your job, you don't like your life, you don't like anything that's going on. What does God call you to do? And I said, those are very specific words for you to say to me. Because when I was 15, I received my call to ministry, but because of how churches are and what people believe and what they think and how they do, I got on the wrong road. (laughs) But thank God, because of the wrong road, I got a whole lot of stuff to preach about. I got a whole lot of stuff to preach about. I preach out of my pain. I don't preach nothing that I haven't been through. I preach out of my pain. So if you want to talk about being relational, tell folks what you've been through. Tell folks what God has done for you. Tell folks how good God has been to you. Tell folks how God picked you up and turned you around. And place your feet on the solid ground. Tell them about Jesus. Tell them about how he changed you. Tell him about Jesus. I don't. I don't. I got I got I've said it many times. I got plenty of degrees. I got a whole lot of things: science and and business and org development. I'm one of the most rational thinking people you know. But in my darkest hour, there was nobody greater. There wasn't a degree around that could have saved my life. There wasn't a degree around that could have turned me around. There wasn't enough thinking to get me out of my situation. It was only Jesus that could do it. Lifestyle. Relational. Invitational, lifestyle, relational, invitational. One of the big struggles that we have. (laughs) I'll wrap up in just a second. I know I've gone long and I know y'all hungry. I'm hungry too. (laughs) I don't want anyone to leave here without hearing this quote that Adam read out in our Grace Walk experience on Wednesday because it slapped me upside the head. It said, you are not a slave anymore. You are more than that. You are a son or daughter, and I would insert of God, The attitude of an employee employee is likely to be, how little can I do still to keep the boss happy? I want you to hear that again. The attitude of an employee is likely to be, how little can I do and still keep the boss happy? But a son or daughter in a family-owned business knows that they are an heir. that business. A son or daughter knows they are an heir to that business. They don't have to keep asking the boss what to do or what not to do. They have the same dream. They have the same vision as the father or mother of that business. They are absorbed in the mind of the parents. They are partners in the business with the parents. A lot of us don't believe we are partners with Jesus. A lot of us don't believe we're partners with the Father with God, the mother of us all. We don't believe that we are in business with God to do a specific thing. We think that by way of salvation and getting to heaven, we've done all we need to do, but there is a family-owned business that we are in. And the family-owned business that we are in is transforming ourselves and transforming the world. You are heirs in the business. God has already brought you in. Stop doubting God's grace. Stop doubting the work that was done on the cross. Start living like you are joint owners in this here business, as somebody used to say. Start living as though God has already done what God needed to do for you so that you can get out and do for others. It is time to start inviting people to see not just the Christ that saves your soul, but the Christ that saves your body. When Jesus said, and I'll close, when Jesus said, standing in front of all of those people, our Father, and this, this is why sometimes when people say I have my personal Jesus, no, he said in that, in that prayer, our Father. He taught us to pray a collective prayer and part of of the church and our struggle and and, and all of what we're going through is is we've we've bought into uh, capitalism and the free market. And so it's all about getting what we need. But that prayer says, "Our our father, our father belonging to all. Introduce folks to that Jesus. Then he says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Hallow it. Guess who else was using hallow it? In that time and in that context, see, we try to separate scripture from history. But in that time and in that context, Caesar, the Roman emperor, he had it had to be said to him, hallow it be thy name. So when Jesus said to them, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He was making a political revolutionary statement. He was saying, not hallowed be your government's name, not hallowed be your president's name, not hallowed be your governor's name, but hallowed be your name. When he looked at them, when he looked at the hungry faces and said, give us this day our daily bread, he wasn't talking about getting spiritual bread so you can get to heaven. He literally was saying, oh my God, we hungry. Give us this day our daily bread. When he said, release us from these debts or forgive us of our trespasses, he was talking about the crushing debt that people were under. He was talking about all those payday loans with the high interest rates he was talking about all the credit cards with the high interest rates he was talking about adjustable rate mortgages that you won't even eventually be able to pay forgive us our debts and then he said and and while you are asking to be forgiven your debts don't forget to forgive other folks debts because this thing can't work unless you do as I do we have to do the same for each other That prayer is the revolutionary Jesus. That is the Jesus that we preach here in addition to the Jesus that saves your soul. We will not be a church that sacrifices the revolutionary nature of Jesus Christ. That's why I stand in this pulpit and I tell you, not the Democrats, not the Republicans, not your president, not your government, none of them can save you. Yay, but Jesus alone. There is but one Savior, and His name is Jesus. Jesus came and He said some simple words. You know, now the church is shrouded in beautiful buildings, beautiful robes, and stalls, and colors for the season. And We all get dressed and get beautiful and come to church. But those early Christians, they were poor, mostly poor. There were a few wealthy among them, but the early ones were poor. Poor with money, poor in spirit, hardly anything to eat. They were a ragtag bunch of people. And Jesus said to them, I came to turn the system upside down. I came to turn the system upside down. And just as much as I come to turn the system upside down, I come to turn your life upside down. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start, end where I started. Jesus came to turn your life and the system upside down, to transform you, to transform the world, and by gosh, there ought to be some fruit that shows it. This is a church that is going to teach you how to walk the walk of the disciple and how to turn the system upside down and how to turn your life upside down so that God can get the glory. If we are going to seek people for Christ and the church, let us seek to make sure that God is interrupting, shifting, and changing, and upending our lives as much as possible to make us the Christians, the followers we are supposed to be. What do disciples do? They seek people for Christ and for Christ's church and the people of God said, Amen.